stuff. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but nasty words will always haunt me. You may be the bully in a china shop, but I really, really wish that you would stop. Do you do it just for laughs? Do you do it for attention? Welcome to episode 112 of the Good Stuff Kids podcast. I'm your host, Mike Mason, and you've found the show where I talk to the creators of certified and bona fide good stuff for kids and families. And on today's show, I talk to Paul Reisler, who has founded an organization called Kid Pan Alley. And you're going to want to hear the story behind what he does, how he does it, how he is helping kids put words to music and writing songs that are based on real life. If you like that little clip you just heard, it's called I Don't Think So, You're a Bully. And that's on the new Kid Pan Alley album called One Little Song Can Change the World. That's just a small sample. And of course, you can hear that whole song at the end of the show. I was pretty uh, pretty moved by my talk with Paul and, and all the work that he's done and his incredible life story and all the people he's worked with and all the people that he's made music with. Um, and I think you will be too. And I think that you're going to find that Kid Pan Alley is an organization that you can... Uh, that you can get behind and that you would be happy and feel good to support. It is a nonprofit organization. Of course, you can find a link to that on my website, www.goodstuffpod.com. In addition to the link for Kid Pan Alley, you can also find all 112 episodes of the Good Stuff Kids podcast, plus 13 episodes of Good Stuff Sports. Speaking of Good Stuff Sports, it is January 29th as we record this, meaning that this Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, and I brought in my resident assistant sports producer, Zachy, who is going to make a bold Super Bowl prediction. Zachy, who is playing in the Super Bowl this year? Eagles and Patriots. Okay, who is the best player on the Patriots? The Patriots? (laughs) This is easy. Tom Brady. Okay, who's the best player on the Eagles? Carson. No, not Carson Wentz because he's out. Obviously, Nick Foles. Nick Foles. Okay. Now, a lot of people think that the Patriots are going to run away with this one. I don't think they are. Who do nope. you think is going to win? Eagles. Okay. What do you think the score is going to be? Close. Okay. Probably like 48 to 43. 48, 48 to 45 or something like that. That's a high-scoring close game. All right. Who's going to be MVP? I don't know. Probably Nick Foles. Probably Nick Foles. Okay, well, let's see if your prediction comes true. Okay. We'll check in next week and talk about it. Sound okay, good? let's wait in. Okay. Okay. I mean, about I'll, seven I'll see days? you I'll see you in like... Seven, six days? Yeah, well, I'll probably see you before then because it's almost yeah. time for shower and bed. But, you know. All right. Thanks, bud. So, hope you enjoy the Super Bowl. Nothing goes better with the Super Bowl than a big, heaping scoop of good stuff and with that in mind, I'm going to turn it over to my conversation with Paul Reisler. Good stuff. It is my honor to uh, welcome Paul Reisler to the Good Stuff Kids podcast. How are you doing today, Paul? Well, I'm great. Thanks, Mike. Good. It's uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. We have a lot of ground to cover, as we sort of alluded to in our in our pre-recording uh, chat, but um. Tell me, tell me a little bit, uh, a little bit about yourself. You uh, and we, we can go back in time a little bit. You were part of the band Trapezoid, but probably right. there's stuff before that that maybe we should know about you. Well, uh, yeah, I started off uh, 
I guess what uh, got got my attention was I was working at the Alexandria Folklore Center back when I was still in high school in the in the 60s, and uh, I got to meet all kinds of incredible musicians there, like uh, Joan Baez and Judy Collins and Bill Monroe and people who would come into the store. And uh, <clears throat> back in that in those days, I was also I started making instruments there. Uh, I kept making instruments and. Uh, uh, at a certain point, I guess about 1975, a friend of mine, uh, Sam Rosetta, who was also an instrument maker, and I took our two apprentices, and uh, we decided uh, we would uh, like to do a little traveling together, and so we formed a band, and our uh, gimmick, uh, if you want to call it that, was uh, <laughs> we, we built a family of hammer dulcimers from uh, bass up to soprano, and w- one of the things we did was play hammer dulcimer quartets. Uh-huh. Well, back in 1975, Hardly anybody had ever heard the Hammer Dulcimer before, and uh, so we got a record contract at our very first performance, <laughs> and <laughs> it went it okay. went it went bananas after that. Yeah. So so, so can uh, we, so before we okay so let's pause there for a second. Let's go back. Um, what what drew you to folk music? You know, are there particular people? You know, you mentioned Joan Baez, and that was a particularly um, uh, important time in the folk music yeah. movement. Um, was that something that you always were interested in? Well, I think it was the 60s, and, you know, there was the, as they say, the great folk scare of the 60s, and <laughs> I was a huge Bob Dylan fan, and also Tom Paxton, who, in the meantime, has become a close friend, and we've actually done a lot of work together, cool. uh, and uh, all the people who were just making great folk music back in those days, and then working at the Folklore Center, I think, was really what cemented it for me, because the music was uh, so honest and direct, mm-hmm. uh, and the people who were doing it were not about uh, uh, posing and being famous, but they really did it because of their love for the music. And that's, uh, I think what's really grabbed me all along is that, uh, uh, at least in my world, we make art because of love. Uh And we we see something in our mind and we want to share it uh, because uh, we love what we're seeing and we love uh, sharing it with people. And folk music uh, did that. Right. In a major way, it was music mm-hmm. with a message, you know, in exactly. addition to being beautifully written. Um, and you yeah. mentioned that you were an instrument maker. Um, yes, I can't let that slide. I got to know a little bit more. Like, what okay. kinds of what kinds of instruments were you making? Well, I made all kinds of things. Uh, I uh, I made uh, hammer dulcimers and fretted dulcimers and guitars and banjos, wow. a couple of mandolins. And then uh, when I was in college, I worked for a harpsichord maker. And so I uh, uh, worked there for for a while, which was also quite amazing. He had been the first curator of musical instruments at the Smithsonian, and I learned an enormous amount from him. Uh Wow, that's so cool. Um, So I actually think this is a good uh, uh, learning moment for folks um, who may not know what a hammer dulcimer is, and I can't think of anyone better to describe it (laughs) than you. And And then I promise we'll move on. Okay, so uh, a hammer dulcimer is a trapezoidal-shaped instrument, uh, hence the name trapezoid, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's uh, strung with a whole lot of strings. Uh, uh, They vary in size, but you can have, you know, typically they might have 15 treble courses and 14 bass courses, Uh, and uh, you play them with little uh, hammers, little mallets. Uh, It's one of the oldest uh, instruments in the world. Uh, they mention the dulcimer in the Bible, and uh, it's basically 
the precursor of the piano. You can think of it as a non-mechanized piano because you're holding two hammers in your hands and you're moving them around and hitting the strings with them. Uh, and uh, they exist in most countries around the world. Uh, it's very well-known instrument in places like Hungary where it's called the cembalo. In this country, it was very popular uh, around the time of the Civil War, before the Civil War, and traveling salesmen would go through the South and sell them, uh, and it was because the people couldn't afford and didn't have the space for a piano, and so uh, the hammer dulcimer was a way to have somewhat of the sound of the piano uh, with something that was portable and playable, and after the Civil War with uh, uh, and people, the salesman not being able to travel through the South, uh, it kind of died out. Uh, trapezoid was very, pretty instrumental in its uh, revival mm -hmm. uh, there beginning in uh, the mid-70s, cool. along with a couple other people. That's so great. So so you had your band Trapezoid, and, and you played for many years, and the sound expanded beyond just the, not just, but beyond a hammer dulcimer quartet. Oh, yeah. um, and then you've had a couple other bands. What what was, what was that? Were those also um, sort of hammer dulcimer focused, or was that? Uh, no, not, okay. not at all. And, uh, and the hammer dulcimer assumed less and less importance over the course of Trapezoid. We started out playing, you know, the, uh, the first... Two or three years, we played traditional music and, and our hammer dulcimer uh, quartet stuff. But then after that, it kind of just became another instrument in the band mm -hmm. with uh, me being the primary player. And then I gradually uh, phased it out of my work, too. Uh, I played it for the last time at my wife's funeral, and I thought, why am I playing this instrument anymore? I, I'm not writing for it. I'm playing the same stuff I've been playing for years. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I uh, put it away and I never brought it out again. So uh, now it has nothing to do with my uh, my music. It was a wonderful thing at the time. But, you know, your interests change. And right. My interests went way more to uh, uh, composing and songwriting mm -hmm. uh, uh, than to, you know, playing an instrument. Uh, although I, I'm still, pl I play a lot of guitar and I'm a, uh, I've been playing guitar for, you know, 55 years now, yeah. and uh, it took me a while to get halfway decent, but I think I am at this point. <laughs> okay, well that's good. Yeah, it does take a while. Well, thank you for sharing all that, all, all of your, uh, all of your, your ties to the the hammer dulcimer. Um, there's so much more to you than just trapezoid and just these other bands, but you are the founder of Kid Pan Alley, um, right. and. And I'll just say that the, the mission, right, the vision of what you do is that kids work together with songwriters to write songs. And I know that that is a, yeah. an extreme oversimplification. Mm -hmm. But before we even get into it, how did that how did this idea come to you? Like, what was the start of it? Oh, it was an accident. <laughs> uh, so uh, the way it happened was uh, one of our best friends. We live in a very small rural community, uh, the entire county is 6,500 people, and the largest town has 124 people in it. So uh, you can get an idea of just how rural that is. Right. Uh, and uh, a, f uh, one, a good friend of ours who also worked with, we had a theater company back then also. My wife, mm -hmm. my late wife was a playwright, actress, and director, and OB winner. And uh, uh, this friend of ours worked with us in the theater, and she organized a three-week interdisciplinary residency in our local elementary school and asked me to do music for it. She was a choreographer, mm -hmm. and she had a visual artist involved. 
And I had no real interest in teaching kids already existing songs. Uh, and at that point, I'd been teaching professional and semi-professional songwriters uh, songwriting for a while. So I got this idea that why don't we just see what happens if we try and write songs with the kids. I had no idea if it was going to work or not, but I wasn't really interested in teaching, you know, she'll be coming around the mountain or something like that. So I I went in there on the first day and I had made plans of, oh, here, we'll write about this, we'll write about that. Well, I got in there and within the first 15 minutes, I'd thrown away all my plans and Uh, we wrote six songs the first day. Yeah, as any good teacher would do, right? You gotta, yes. you, you gotta read the room and know it, and, and yeah. be afraid, not unafraid to to pivot. And and so some of the songs were good, uh, some of them were uh, terrible, and <laughs> some of them needed some work. But the amazing thing I realized is kids make the greatest co-writers mm-hmm. because they don't uh, they don't need a coffee break. They don't uh, argue with you about you know is Garth going to cut this or not. Uh, they're just in it for the sheer joy of creating something. And they don't run out of ideas when you've got a class of 20, 25 kids. You've got uh, a little idea factory there. Right. And so, so my job became, well, in that three weeks, uh, we wrote about 60 songs. And, people, uh, and then we did our performance. And people kept asking me for copies of the songs. And at the time, I still had trapezoid, and I wasn't really... Uh, although trapezoid was kind of fading at that point. Uh, But I didn't really envision myself as a kids artist, although I had produced a bunch of kids records for uh, John McCutcheon uh, beginning back in about 1980. And so I got this idea to get all the professional musicians of our community together and have each one record a song in their own style. Uh, And we have a very rich artistic community. Uh, We had two major conductors here, uh, Lauren Mazel, who was the conductor of the New York Philharmonic and virtually every other orchestra in the world Mm -hmm. until he passed away a few years ago. And uh, practically my next door neighbor is uh, Colonel John Bourgeois, who was the conductor of the Marine Band for 20 years. Hmm. And so I got uh, uh, the Mazelles helped fund it, and I got uh, Bourgeois to uh, do an arrangement one of, one of the songs and conduct the high school band. And then we got all of the rock musicians and folkies and hip hop artists in this community to each record a song in their own style. Uh-huh. And we made our first album, which was called Tidal Wave of Song. Yeah. And that just kind of led to everything else. Yeah. Um, uh, a close friend of mine, Beth Nielsen Chapman, who is a great songwriter. She, her best-known song is This Kiss, uh-huh. uh, but has written just a great body of work. Uh, introduced I, uh, About that time, I had written a full-length piece for orchestra and narrator based on Aesop's fables mm-hmm. with uh, Tom Lo- Paxton, and I wrote the libretto together and then uh, wrote the music uh, with another friend of mine. And uh, uh, she, was in, she introduced me to the conductor of the Nashville Chamber Orchestra, thinking that he'd be interested in doing this piece as an alternative to Peter and the Wolf. Well, I showed him the first Kid Pan Alley album, and within 10 minutes, we were working on a project together. Man, uh, you, you work fast. <laughs> well, no, he worked fast. He was like, wow, this is incredible. Let's uh-huh. do this. And so we wrote, uh, oh, about uh, well, we did uh, our first project in Nashville. We wrote about seventy. We worked with every school in Nashville and wrote about seventy songs, and then we recorded them with well-known artists 
and orchestral accompaniment. So uh, we had people like Amy Grant and Delbert McClinton and Kix Brooks and Susie Boggess and the Nashville Bluegrass Band mm-hmm. and uh, uh, with uh, the Nashville Chamber Orchestra on a bunch of the songs. And we did get a, a Grammy nomination for one of the songs on that album. Oh, cool. And it just kind of took off after that. Yeah. Uh, and so I've been going nonstop on it uh, for 18 years now. Yeah, and, and it's... It, it, the the scope i mean i can't imagine that you knew the scope that this project would take on right oh i had no idea about any of it yeah. it just uh, it, as i said it was an accident i'm not i'm no uh, i'm no uh, genius here i just uh, i saw something and i am a hard worker mm-hmm. and i've had i've had a really broad experience in music which i think this job was uh, made for me. I love kids. Uh, I uh, love to write songs. I can play guitar without thinking about it, and I have a good, you know, solid musical background. And mm-hmm. uh, my degrees in composition and theory, and I've worked in very, very many styles of music. And I'm perfectly willing to be lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, so it's it really ha- and plus I'd produced. Uh, by the time we started this, I'd probably produced about 30 albums, so I had a pretty good background in record production. Yeah. So uh, it really fits my skill set uh, uh, better than anything else I can imagine. It uses more of what I do than anything else I've ever done. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing to hear like when all the life experience comes together into something that you you know there is obvious passion and care on your end about it's it's really inspiring to hear um no thank you yeah so you and and i guess so let's go into the program a little bit and um and and what the program is and how the program works uh before we get to and and you know there's a new record out and we'll talk about that in a bit but so kid pan alley I'm going to say this in simple terms and then maybe you can expand on it, but it's, it's an educational program, right? Like you're, you have, you are, you or the people that you work with are going out into schools and writing songs. That's correct. And is it, is it a nationwide organization? Uh, Yes. Well, we go as far as uh, Hawaii, Uh, but it's in pockets. Uh So it's not like uh, we don't have branches any place. We just have, uh, myself and a few other people who can lead and some assistants who work with us. We always go in with two people uh, into a school. But uh, so we, you know, we have things like in January, February, we'll be out in Hawaii and California. Yeah. Uh, right now we're in, in uh, our area in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So so how long is uh, each, um, I guess, each program? How long are you in a school? <laughs> Well, typically we go into a school for five days, and uh, we write eight songs with eight classes during those five days. And then on the fifth day, we rehearse the children in the morning. We have an afternoon concert for the entire school, which we record multi-track. And then uh, we have an evening concert for the community. Mm -hmm. And in between the afternoon and the evening concert, I mix the songs, and we make CDs available that night. Wow. So it's a uh, pretty action-packed, <laughs> yeah. action-packed week. Yeah. Uh, but we have eight songs at the end of the week, and uh, 
it's amazing for the children. And yes, it's an educational program, but I really think of it as a creativity program mm-hmm. dressed up in songwriter's clothes. Mm-hmm. It's really about the creative process. Mm-hmm. They, they say we live in a creative economy and then uh, we don't teach the children anything about being creative. In fact, we do the opposite. We beat the creativity out of them by saying, oh, well, that doesn't make sense, Johnny, or the wind can't blow you a pony. Or that's a non sequitur. Well, the creative process is a random process. It's not linear. Mm-hmm. And in school, we're taught to think linearly. And uh, so I, I've noticed uh, that there's an inverse relationship between the age of the kids and the quality of the songs after about fourth grade. Okay, interesting. Uh, so, you know, it's we are not teaching creativity or inspiring creativity. We're... Uh, teaching teaching to test. And so our goal and our mission has become, I think, a lot, uh, we're a lot more driven towards it because of feeling the real need uh, for it in the, in the current climate that we, that we live in. And so I say our mission is to inspire children to be creators of their own music and to, uh, to work together to become uh, creators of their own music and to reinvigorate creativity. Mm-hmm. is a core value in education yeah absolutely and um learning from a master is uh is pretty is a pretty good uh side benefit <laughs> to, to yeah. trying to teach creativity so you how long has kid pan alley been in existence uh 18 years okay so and this is a a fairly um i i uh it's fairly maybe deep question but in those 18 years thematically when you're working with a group of kids, like have the themes changed? Have the themes stayed the same? Are they just different? What What is your, in your experience, how is that, how has the, the mind and the creative idea of a kid changed? Uh, well, I think one thing I really see, and which is also the subject of our new album, um, I see the kids wanting to write a lot more uh, about respect and not bullying. And I think it's a function of that we have become, uh, bullying has become a much bigger issue in their lives. Uh, part of that's, you know, connected to cyberbullying and the internet. And just part of it's that, you know, the way the culture in general has gone. So I find that they want to write about those issues more uh, because they're first and foremost in their mind. Uh, then I think also part of it that's hard for me to separate out is, you know, I've gotten better at digging out the deep stuff in them also. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, we we don't write about their cat or, uh, <laughs> you know, or, or generally we don't. Right. Uh, uh, I've I, I found ways to get to what really matters to them. Right, yeah. Uh, n- not that they don't like their cat, but there's uh, something deeper there also. And... Uh, uh, so I, I think there's part of the change is my ability to reach deeper and to work and to teach them more about metaphor and figurative language so that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily always writing literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, that's been a big theme. I notice different kinds of themes in different places. For example, in Hawaii, uh, the songs are much gentler. Uh, there tend to be a 
mostly or much more about nature mm -hmm. and about uh, their ancestors and respect. Uh, and then in a city, uh, they might be tending to, you know, imi uh, imitate uh, what they hear on the radio and, you know, be a tough guy kind of thing. So I, I experience all of it. What I try and do uh, is uh, take what they're, you know, working with them because I'm, it's really a big co-write with me and 25 or so children at a time. Uh, I try and take what they're, what they're interested in and we write it together. So I'm not just saying, you know, saying, what do you want to write about? They say it. And then I sit there and write a song while they watch. Right. I try and get almost everything from them. Uh, sometimes I have to ask a bunch of questions when I see where something's going and we need something. And so I'm definitely leading them in the creative process. And other times they just take off and it goes. And I, uh, I say my role is to do as uh, little as possible and as much as is necessary. Yeah. Because one of the things that I think is really important, you know, kids get a lot of encouragement for things that they know aren't all that good. Uh, you know, they'll do a little drawing and they'll go, oh, oh that's really great for an eight-year-old Johnny. Let's, uh, let's hang it on the refrigerator. And the kid can look at it and see, you know, well, you know, this isn't like what I'm seeing in the museum. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, a stick figure. Well, that might be good for an eight-year-old. but And so what we do with Kid Pan Alley is uh, we take, we try and do things at the highest professional and production value level mm -hmm. so that when they hear their song they go man this is as good as anything i've ever heard and it is mm -hmm. uh, as you've heard on the albums you know they're great songs right uh, they stand up uh i when if i listen to the coffee house on xm i don't hear a whole lot of songs that are better than songs we write with kids right uh and i think that it's because the kids have what is most important. Uh, they, the kids have what is most important, uh, which is imagination. Right. Uh, right. Right. And that that goes a long way. And uh, yeah. they're not trying to sell records. You know. They're yes. Not trying to. Exactly. You know. They're they're trying to. And you're encouraging them to to dig a little bit and be creative and write about what's real to them and. So so then so let's shift a little bit to the new record, which is called "One Little Song Can Change the World," and these songs are all written by kids and then sung by professionals, right? Yes. And then all of the instrumentation done by professional, like there's a uh, like high production values as you as you saw or, or sorry as you mentioned. Um, so you're writing all of these songs and you're going into all these schools and and you're making this profound impact with this program. So how, when it's time to make an album, I guess the and, and this is a you know this is kind of a tough question I think, but like how do you how do you whittle it down to the the ten tracks that are on this album? Well, that is hard uh, because we now have twenty seven hundred. Kid Pan Alley songs, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so the hard part is whittling it down. But the good news is, uh, the ten the ten best about a particular theme uh, from twenty seven hundred uh, gives you the ability to choose just 
astounding songs. Uh-huh. If you have, if you'd written fifteen songs and tried to choose ten, uh, it would no, be nowhere near as good. So uh, it's also a great gift uh, because there are so many fantastic songs. Mm-hmm. And so we look at it, and you know, this particular album uh, are all songs about respect, respect for each other, the community, for the environment, and oneself. Mm-hmm. Because in a way. Uh, polluting is bullying the environment. And uh, so we were looking for songs that would express those different things. So there's a song like, you know, there's there's songs about, uh, you know, taking care of yourself. There's songs about taking care of the environment. There's songs about bullying and, you know, thing, and then funny songs like Don't Put Me Down or My Dog. Right, right. Uh, uh, so there, what we're looking for is... Uh, the different points of view and the different ways of looking at the issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this is actually our first thematically based album. Our uh, previous albums were, uh, were community based. Uh, In other words, you know, we did one, we had one in Nashville. So it was all songs we wrote in Nashville. And when Mm -hmm. the musicians were all Nashville musicians, we had one in Charlottesville, Mm -hmm. Uh, same, same kind of idea and one here in uh, Rappahannock County, Virginia. Uh, And so, this was more, okay, well, what are kids really thinking about? Uh, how can we help with this issue, which is a really profound issue, not only in schools, but, you know, in our society in general. Uh, there is an epidemic of bullying uh, that is very evident. And yet, you know, if an adult says to the children, well, don't bully each other, well, you know, that's like saying, well, Johnny, go brush your teeth or eat your vegetables. Uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, uh, they go, yeah, yeah. You know, my mom says I shouldn't bully yeah, and right. I should eat my vegetables. Yeah. Uh, and so this is really from the kids' point of view, what they think about it. And I think that's much more powerful because if a third grader hears one of these songs and realizes, well, another third grader, a class of third graders wrote this song, and they're feeling the same thing I do, not what my, you know, my mom tells me I'm supposed to do, but that's what they're doing. So they tend to listen uh, more, I think. And so I think it has a stronger impact when it's coming from that worldview and that innocence of uh, the childhood innocence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we should also say that Kid Pan Alley, in, in addition to all of the the music and and the records, and we've talked about the programs, but you're you're a not for profit agency. Um, yes. And that and you know if there are kids that are listening, that means that you're not trying to make money. You're you right. have you have a goal, and your goal is to do exactly what you're doing, which is to teach creativity, teach songwriting. Um, and you, you're sponsored by uh, some, some interesting folks. You know, I see that the Dave Matthews Band is involved. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but, but... Yeah, Dave, uh, the Dave gave us his studio to record our Charlottesville album. Oh, wow. Which that's was really pretty incredible to yeah. work in his studio, which, uh, as you can imagine, is uh, probably beyond, beyond awesome. Yeah, probably state-of-the-art. <laughs> well, it's good to know. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm happy to hear that he is a, he is a good guy. Um, yes. So... Okay, so you have the records. All of this is available at kidpanalley.org. Um, and I want to encourage everyone to to get the albums directly from there, you know, buy these albums, because then the money goes to where it's needed. 
um, and then also to support the organization, you know, the, the nonprofit, what you do is you go out there and you, and I imagine that you try to make it so that when you go to a community, you know, maybe a, a, a community that is uh, financially not as um, able to support the arts, that that really like you feel that when you go there. And oh, yeah. and uh, so I think that the fact that you're able to do that, I think that people should um, support you in doing that because I think that this is a truly like uh, amazing organization and um, oh, thank you thank you for everything that you've done so Paul how, how can are you, is there Facebook there's website how, how is the best way to connect with you all and follow along and, and support you and what you're doing with Kid Pan Alley well the, the website's uh, the best place uh, we do have a, a Facebook page uh, but I, I get things a lot quicker. And a lot of times if I'm in a residency, uh, I don't have time to check Facebook. Okay. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, residency weeks are usually 80-hour weeks for me. <laughs> because not only are we writing eight songs, I make a video. We make the CD. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's some... You know, I have to write. Uh, we have to write charts so I can remember the song. Uh, when I play it on Friday, uh, the kids don't have any trouble remembering it, but uh, I do, and so uh, they're they're pretty in, they're pretty intense weeks. So, but through our website, uh, uh, and the, people can write us info at kidpanalley.org. Right. Um, and I appreciate. Uh, you know, we are able to do this work because of the generosity of uh, people, schools. Uh, as you probably know, have very little money these days, and right. teachers are offer, often buying, uh, uh, you know, paper and toilet paper for their classroom because schools have so little money. We try and work in schools that need it the most, mm -hmm. and uh, because of that, we also uh, need the support of individuals and grantors and other organizations who help make it uh, possible for us to work in those kinds of schools. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, well, the new record is One Little Song Can Change the World. And, uh, Paul, I can't thank you enough for your time. Everyone, please support Kid Pan Alley and, and the work that Paul's doing. Um, have a great rest of your day and hope that it uh, continues to be a beautiful day where you are. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Great talking to you. Okay, take care. Paul does some pretty amazing work, as uh, I'm sure you picked up on during the course of that. Um, so be sure to support him and support his organization, KidPanAlley.org. That's KidPanAlley.org. And check out the music. It's really good music, written by kids, performed by, like, ultra pros. Like, what can be bad about that? Not much. So stay tuned in just one second we're gonna play i don't think so you're a bully from the brand new kid pan alley record one little song can change the world thank you so much for listening if you are so inclined share the good stuff kids podcast with a friend it would mean a lot talk to you very very soon Break my bones, but nasty words will always haunt me.
may be the bully in a china shop But I really, really wish that you would stop Do you do it just for laughs? Do you do it for attention? Do you think someone will ask for your Stuff.